I'm tearing up. <laughs> it's just about hate. screamed right now, but I'm not even there. <laughs> now that's inspirational, Natalie. <laughs> I feel inspired today. Part two I, of I, this. Can, I could be here for another hour. <laughs> no. I always go, he winds up homeless on the street. It's my fault. <laughs> I don't know what got into my head, but I thought, I thought this thought, you know, if I'm working year-round, I might as well get paid year-round. <laughs> Sweet Talk is a weekly 20-minute podcast brought to you by the Continuing Education and Workforce Training Division of Idaho State University's College of Technology. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud, and subscribe today. Now, it's time to get started with Sweet Talk. Welcome, everyone, to Sweet Talk, our weekly podcast here at Continuing Education Workforce Training at Idaho State University. And today I have with me our illustrious leader, Gary Salazar. Gary, Gary how are you doing today? I'm feeling very illustrious. Thank you very much. <laughs> you look very illustrious. That's yeah, the background. It's it's the, it, it is. It makes you look more majestic. Uh, majestic, at least uh, autumn, you know, it's a good background. I, I wear this <laughs> Okay. Okay. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. I'm feeling great. It's a, it's a good day. Um, at, we're recording this on behind the scenes stuff. We're recording this on our Friday, and I was like, I went, oh my god, it's Friday. We're almost there. Yeah, and on a short week too. Things compress on a short week. I'm glad it's Friday now. Yes. Yes. Exactly. What are we doing here today? We have um another person, another get one of our. T- great department heads here today. We have Raylan Price with us, uh, who coordinates all our health programs today. How are you today, Raylan? I'm doing well. For me, though, it's not feeling like a Friday. For some reason, I woke up this morning, and it's a Monday, a full Monday. Monday. We missed Monday this week, and so we got it today. You had to make it up somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome, Raylan. It's so nice to have you joining us, and and we got a special guest today. for, for everybody who doesn't know, Rayland does a super job uh, for us with all the programs that we have under our health programs coordination, which is our non-credit side here at, at the IOCU. And, but she also has the, uh, has the fantastic opportunity to lead a growing uh, emergency medicine conference. And we're doing our fourth or fifth or something like that. She's just been doing wonderful with that. And she has a, a, a extra special guest that I'm gonna let her introduce. Raylan, if you could take it away and introduce this very special guy. Uh, Very good. Yeah, first of all, just a reminder about Emergency Medicine Conference. We are starting, um, registration will open on March 15th. We're super excited. We have a pre-conference this year with hand-heavy instructor training, mental health first aid for fire and EMS. And then... um, we have Dr. Antevi giving our first keynote address, and then we are so excited to be able to add a wilderness um, part to our conference. And we have Dr. Will Smith, who's going to be our keynote for that wilderness um, sessions of the conference. So thank you, Will, for coming. We appreciate you being here on the podcast with us. And um, just as a little introduction, um, Dr. Smith is an EMS and emergency medicine physician practicing in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. He is the clinical assistant professor for the University of Washington School of Medicine. He is a medical director for the U.S. National Park Service. He serves as co-medical director and EMS physician for Grand Teton National Park, Teton County Search and Rescue, 
Bridger Teton National Forest and Jackson Hole Fire EMS. And on top of that, he serves as a Colonel in the US Army Reserve Medical Corps. Um, his CV resume goes on and on and on and on. So um, we are excited to have him here and hopefully he can fill us in on some of those details. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on the show. And I'm really excited to be able to come over and speak at the conference. We are excited Excellent. to have you. <laughs> I, I think he's got too much free time on his hands being able to pull all that stuff together. My goodness. I know. I, I, I mean, I have, did you see this? And that's the summary, Paul. I know. I mean, it's, it's, it's summarized. I, I, I feel like such a, such a slacker. It's okay. I've got a split personality, so it makes it all easier. Woo. <laughs> um, so, um, Dr. Smith, um, Will, um, yes. so what inspired you to specialize in emergency medicine? Well, I really got my medicine bug when I was a senior in high school and took an EMT class down in Wheatland, Wyoming. So I grew up on a 22,000 acre cattle ranch and helping my dad had to become self-reliant and independent. And so took that EMT class and really caught the medicine bug. And so as a 17 year old, I got told a lot what I couldn't do. And so I couldn't drive the ambulance. I wasn't old enough yet. So then I had to become an EMT intermediate so I could take care of patients in the back. And I just kept clawing my, up the, clawing my way up the medical ladder, became a paramedic and then went on to medical school and then really still loved the pre-hospital EMS SAR fire space. That's awesome. That's awesome. EMT is one of my programs. So that is close to my heart. <laughs> so very good. Yeah, no, the EMTs are great. I mean, they're the ones that provide that base level of care and really kind of get people into that system of care so that we can take care of them all the way up to the physician level. Right. That's great. So when you, so you came home then to Jackson, yeah, I was from Wheatland, so the other corner of the state, but I've been here in Jackson full-time since 2004, practicing emergency medicine, so it's a great place to, to raise a family and interface with all the kind of agencies like that you listed with the Park Service, with the Forest Service, local fire EMS, SAR, so it's been really great, and with my partner, Dr. Wheeler, we've been able to really co-mingle all the protocols, the response agencies, so it doesn't matter who's really responding, everybody's working off the same set of protocols and really just kind of focused on best patient care. That's excellent. So what kind of drew you to emergency, not emergency medicine, but wilderness medicine? So I uh, started growing up on the ranch. I think that's really where it, it began. And then in college down in Laramie, Wyoming, began doing ski patrol. And again, just the, the challenge of being out there in the wilderness. Yeah, you can do a lot of the stuff in the ER. Yeah, you can do a lot of stuff in the back of the ambulance, but it really puts your skills to a test being out there to take care of a patient in a, in a wilderness setting. Plus, it's fun to get out there and just play. That, that kind of leads me to a question. What are the um, uh, challenges in doing wilderness uh, medicine? I mean, I, I mean, you're out there in the wilderness, you don't have all this equipment with you. So what kind of challenges do you have to face? I think that's part of what makes it so fun is that you don't have all the tools. So you really have to learn how to improvise. You really have to, to balance the risks and benefits of different things. You really have to be self-sufficient yourself to be able to be out on the side of the cliff or in the swift water setting or the cave. or um, And that's what really combines well to the combat and the tactical setting is, is a lot of those dangers, whether or not it's the bullets flying at you or whether or not it's the avalanche or the bear chasing you. Um, the dangers just 
kind of our variable. But again, when it comes down to taking care of patients, you, you just have to kind of work through all that. So that's what's fun and exciting. And then you get to help take care of a patient as well. No, really, you've had a bear chase you? I have not, but uh, we do have a predator attack response team. So I have oh, oh. Out the bear maulings and oh. uh, it's, it's, it's a real concern. Oh, wow. Wow. So for um, you, oh, go ahead, Paul. No, no, no. Go right ahead, Raylan. I was just wondering, did the tactical side come first or the wilderness as far probably, as? Probably started more on the wilderness side. And then I joined the Army Reserve my first year in residency, but always looking for that new and different challenge and, and really service to the country. And so, yeah, it's, it's been a, a great opportunity to, to take care of the service members over in Iraq and uh, Kuwait, as well as uh, Egypt, Panama, El Salvador, Croatia, all these different places has just uh, blended great opportunities that I've been able to bring those experiences back here and put into my kind of alternative civilian practice as well. That's great. You know, that, so, that's really good. Being able to go out there and, you know, serve like that, uh, Dr. Smith, and, and do the military support as well. When you come back from those things and put them into your practice, I mean, you're learning new techniques out there and bringing that back. What is it that you are you reinforcing the existing ideas and protocols that you already know, is, or is that all new that you bring back? Yeah, so being an EMS now for a little over 30 years, it's definitely seen the pendulum swing back and forth, just like with tourniquets. How uh, we used to say tourniquets was the last resort, and then kind of being in Iraq and, and seeing how tourniquets really save lives, and now. Uh, that pendulum has shifted to, to having tourniquets back in the, the frontline EMS workers toolkit. Mm -hmm. Or if you go to the airport, there's the stop the bleed kits that are hanging right next to the AEDs. And it, it's really now a, a first aid tool just because it's found to be so important. Mm. You know, I think we're finding a pretty good lead in our title for this thing about it. avalanches, bullets, and bears. You know, that might <laughs> <laughs> have to change the title. What are yeah. they talking about? Now you're finding out. So I might, I might get people to pay attention a little bit more avalanche bullets and bears. The bears. I like that. Um, so I'm, I'm reading uh, the sessions that you're doing on um, the at the conference is uh, medical errors and decision making strategies, uh, mountain medicines where ambulance can't go and unmanned aerial systems drones. I'm really kind of interested on on your use of the unmanned aerial systems in um, in wilderness medicine. Yeah, so there's lots of tools that we have in our toolkit. And so the UAVs or unmanned aerial vehicles are becoming another one. It's not the magic bullet to, to use on every rescue, but there are certain instances in certain swift water settings where you're able to get the drone up in the air when you can't quite get it out over and above the river. Um, there's still some limitations to technology, but it's it, the technology is definitely maturing with the battery life, flight, distance, those sort of things. Um, so I know Grand Canyon's been using them a bit. So when you can just pop a drone over the edge and, and look and see what's happened, um, but using them for avalanche, using some of the new uh, sensor technologies that are, they're definitely kind of maturing. How do you find somebody buried under the snow and um, working with some of my other military hats and things, that new sensor technology is just exploding. So um, yeah, how can use a drone someday to, to potentially be able to, to see what the dog an avalanche dog is maybe smelling and so using hyperspectral and kind of using other uh, uh, technologies. So yeah, it's a really evolving and emerging field, but definitely still has some really applicable uses right now as well. Oh yeah. Have you, have you done any uh, UAS work where they're delivering materials or tools to you on the site? 
We've not implemented that here, um, but I know in Scandinavia, just within the last couple of months, they've actually had an AED delivered to a scene and a life saved. I know Australia is using them to uh, deliver like uh, lifesavers to uh, people out caught in the surf. Sure. And so, yeah, we've not had a deployment method here yet, but yeah, that's getting to be um, the, the next steps. Um, the problem is, is kind of the, the payload capability and then the release mechanism. So those are some of the things that we're looking through. Um, but yeah, dropping off a radio to somebody or dropping off food or some emergency supplies before the rescuers can get there. So yeah, so those are definitely real possibilities and actually being done in some places. Now that's something we should get into here, exploring at least and talking about with the uh, with Walmart now able to do you know rural deliveries of groceries. Yeah, we ought to be able to tag into that and get something for medical supplies uh, to areas of need. Yeah, uh, right. It's you know, a pretty field. Yeah, Africa is definitely doing some of that with like snake antivenin and, and looking oh. at like blood products. So, yeah, there is definitely a maturing field and just scratching the surface. Well, because I mean, there's a lot of times the cost or even the terrain prohibits like a, a helicopter or something going in and it would take hours for someone to hike in. But if you could go direct route with a drone, it would say it, I could see how it could save lives because of the speed of which it can deliver and the terrain that it can cover. Yeah, and the, the risk. And so if it's a risky dark mission or something like that. You may not risk a helicopter that's kind of manned, but you may risk an unmanned aerial aircraft for kind of tenth or hundredth of the price. And so, yeah, those are all the decisions that you're constantly making in the search and rescue realm. Well, that's, that, that is so cool. Yeah, so it sounds like technology has really kind of changed the world of wilderness medicine and probably emergency medicine in general. Have you seen big changes? From the yeah. time that you were an EMT until now? Yeah, I know the, the term disruptive technology. I mean, just like our cell phones. I mean, the camera, the technology on it. Actually, this is what I use for flying the drone because it's got all the GPS coordinates, all those things. And so it's basically an app. And uh, with the, kind of some of the products that are out there, yeah, it, it's, the technology is just amazing. But in the wilderness setting, you always got to plan for when technology fails. So when the battery dies, when you don't have the cellular service, when you don't have kind of whatever happens, you still got to rely back onto your base and core skills. That's really important to think about, right? Because even if we have all of the technology available to us, at some point in time, if it fails, we have to be able to fall back onto Absolutely. the onto the basics yeah that's what i find is a fun challenge is that you still have to rely on those basics and so you've got to be able to embrace the new but still be able to to take care of yourself kind of when everything else fails that's right you still have to know how to tie those knots in order to be safe my goodness Right. Yeah, and, and, yeah. well, and, and that, that kind of leads. So the other subject that you um, have a keynote on is uh, mountain medicines where ambulance can't go. And I imagine if an ambulance can't go, go there, that means you have to go there. Um, yeah. So, I, so you must be fairly active and physically fit to be able to um, go and administer the care that sometimes that you need to do. Right. Yeah, and I think that's a really key and important thing is that <clears throat> if you're getting field providers out there, you need to make sure that they're physically and mentally competent in that terrain that they're in. And so, yeah, you definitely have to be able to take care of yourself first. So whether or not that's an avalanche terrain, and so you got your beacon probe shovel, you've got all that avalanche training, and then you got to take care of the patient. And so that's the, that next step. So are most, is most of your team 
volunteer, like in Grand Teton National Park, or are they paid, or they, um, how, how do you pull your team together? Yeah, so as a medical director, myself and partner, Dr. Wheeler, we cover multiple teams. So each one is organized just a little bit differently. So our county search and rescue team has the, the sheriff who's ultimately kind of responsible for search and rescue in the, the Teton County jurisdiction, as is most kind of states, the sheriff is responsible for search and rescue. And then the rest of the team uh, after one coordinator that's paid is all volunteer. Uh, Grand Teton National Park has got the Jenny Lake uh, Climbing Rangers and uh, DJ or uh, Aaron Jernigan, who's uh, also with your institution. He's uh, a well-known uh, commodity in that space, but uh, yeah, he, he was one of the summer climbing rangers. And so uh, each area has just slightly different organization, how those teams are put together. But as you look across the country, a um, vast majority of search and rescue teams are volunteer. Darren was very disappointed he couldn't join us today. Um, so um, I, I'm kind of curious because um, you're doing this wilderness res uh, rescue missions a lot sometimes. That uh, um, how do you assess risk risk res of that rescue? I mean, you have someone who's in duress or um, in trouble, and you need they need to you need to go out there, but there may be risk to your team. How do you make those type of decisions? Yeah, we've got some tools. Uh, we've got a what we call a guard tool, our green, amber, red. So we actually look and talk through what risks are out there, see what strategies we can do to mitigate the risk. Sometimes it may be actually waiting till the next morning because it is just too risky. Uh, but uh, again, there's there's a mantra in the field. It's like you risk a lot to save a lot, and so those are all the things. But uh, risk is inherent to everything we do. So I think the risk to benefit and kind of the risk mitigation is is real important. And so while we kind of acknowledge it, it, sometimes there is some risk that you do have to take. Some risk and probably a lot of training and education so that you're not putting a lot more people in danger, I would imagine. Yeah, exactly. And so just being well-trained, being physically and mentally fit, um, helicopters, why sometimes they do increase the risk somewhat. It may be less risky to send a helicopter and four or five people compared to sending a whole ground team for uh, 50 people kind of through the night for multiple hours. So yeah, those are the constant uh, risk evaluations that we're doing. Dr. Smith, is there in your in your memory was there a, a an operation that you were on that you could describe that just took a matter of days to get in, take care of people, and get out? I'm sure you've had a huge variety of, of different kinds of events, but is there one that stands out in your mind that you would be willing to describe? Yeah, one of the ones that I remember pretty uh, pretty well is on an avalanche rescue up on Teton Pass, and so it happened. Uh, about in the mid-afternoon, uh, a gentleman got caught in an avalanche, and it took a while for him sprints to get out. They're in the valleys. There's still places where you don't get cell phone service, and so they had to send one of the friends out for help. And so by the time that we got the call for help, it was already dark. By the time we got to the patient, it was about midnight. Um, we didn't have a helicopter could fly at night, so we had to do some prolonged field care and take care of him and keep him alive through the night and then extract him the next morning. Um, up in the Teton wilderness, there's been calls, yeah, where it's just you may be a day or two from civilization. Uh, if the helicopters can't fly for weather or what other factor, you really have to be uh, acknowledging how to care for those patients for sometimes prolonged periods. Mm 
Mm, wow, very, very tricky. You know, and, and like we talked about earlier on, and you acknowledge the risk of, you know, assessing that, do we go, do we not go? There's a shortness of light. Uh, it's getting cold, you know, there might be more risk of, of additional avalanches. How much risk are we putting on our team to go after this guy? It's, it's a huge calculation that you do. You know, yeah, I know, definitely. Thank you for that. I mean, that, that that's an awesome an awesome task to be able to do, and, and, and great service that you bring to so many different people. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Incredible. I think yeah. the big thing is is that uh, most of us that go out there that do search and rescue, we enjoy being in the back country ourselves, and so we know that there may be a day where we may be the one in need, and so that's kind of part of the the reason why we go out there to to help our uh, fellow person that enjoys the wilderness as well. Yeah, I, I was just going to bring that up because uh, we've had Darren on the show previously, and that's one of the things that he did bring up is the passion that um, uh, the team has for the outdoors themselves. So I guess that you have uh, a, uh, quite a bit of empathy or understanding for even though the people might get themselves in a an emergency situation, you know why they're there, you know what they're you know that they want to enjoy the the outdoors and uh, get as much. Uh, uh, recreation from that and enjoyment from that as possible. Yeah, there's there's definitely call outs that we do that people are negligent, they've made all the wrong decisions, but then there's call outs that we've had where the person's made all the right decisions and it's just one of those things that happens. You catch an edge, you break a leg, some random tree trunk falls on you. I mean, there's all sorts of different variables that are out there. So, um, but we don't judge. I mean, we're there to help the person in need and uh, kind of do what, what they need to. I mean, it is the wilderness. Yeah. <laughs> the wild, wild wilderness. <laughs> well, um, I, I think this, this is just amazing uh, to hear all these stories. I, personal question for you, Dr. Smith, what would you prefer? I mean, environment wise, you know, if you had to go after somebody, mountains, Sahara Desert, you know, is there a preference which, or an avoidance, I'd rather not be in the desert because I can't stand heat, or <laughs> the mountains are the best one because I'm trained there, or even water, water rescues, whether it's uh, streams, rivers, oceans, do you have a preference for one place you'd like Yeah, to one of my personal kind of challenges and favorites is caves or confined space, yes. and so those are the ones that really make you have the most constraint on the amount of supplies that you can take with you. The, the technical nature of the rigging is different than what we do in a lot of other settings. Um, the patient care through very confined spaces. Uh, if you look at like the Thailand cave rescue, then you throw diving into it yeah. as well. Oh, so yeah. Um, yeah, caves definitely are a, a keen interest of mine. I didn't even think about caves, but yeah, I, that's, that's, space and then uh you know if the, how far they trapped if they've had a, a cave in and you know then th that's definitely a danger for your team because there could possibly be additional cave-ins yeah, wow. in the atmosphere in some caves um you can get toxic gases or limited uh, of oxygen and build up a co2 so yeah there, there's lots of challenges wow yeah Ray Lynn, uh, we're getting close to the end of this thing. Uh, maybe we should uh, start wrapping this up. And is there anything our audience should know about the EM conference where the, the good doctor is going to be presenting? Just come. It's going to be so much fun. <clears throat> we have great speakers, dynamic speakers, excellent topics. This is a great way for you to get your continuing education hours um, and to, to learn from the very best. So we are so excited to have Dr. Smith with us as well as our other presenters and it's gonna be a great conference. 
I've seen the lineup. It's going to be a great, uh, great conference and exciting to see a lot of colleagues there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it also. Thank you for joining us, uh, Dr. Smith. This, this has been awesome to hear you. I appreciate you making the time to come on board. Paul, your banter as always is just amazing. And uh, Ray, that's, what I, that's what I excel at. Yeah, Ray, man, your leadership here is, is incredible. Thank you so much for heading up the EM conference. Uh, Dr. Will, thank you so much for being on with us today. If someone wanted to get a hold of you or your team, how would they do that? Yeah, certainly they can get a hold of me. Uh, my uh, Twitter handle is at WillMD911. So that's W-I-L-L-M-D-911. Or my email is Will at WildernessDoc, all one word, W-I-L-D-E-R-N-E-S-S-D-O-C.com. Okay, thank you. Thank you. And if you want to get a hold of us, um, you would uh, either uh, join us on our website at cetrain.isu.edu or email us at cetrain at isu.edu or you can just do the old-fashioned call us on the phone at 208-282-3372. Hey, Gary, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate Rayland. Always a pleasure uh, to have you here with us. And again, Dr. Will, I really appreciate it. I, 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 I hope you'd come back sometime to give us some more stories. I, I, I love to hear these type of things all the time. Yeah, yeah we'll absolutely. see you at the conference. You might know that Will, um, Dr. Smith, is called to speak all over the world. So I, I, I don't. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I, 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 I'm on my edge of the seat. I, I, just the cave thing. I was just like to get one cave story. Just last week. So that wow. Was- wow. Yeah. You have I, to come I back. I can tell you a cave story, but I guarantee it won't be as good as Dr. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us and, uh, uh, come again next week and, uh, meet our, our guests that we'll have next week. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.